You're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Nazir Jamal and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com from the east coast of South Africa in sunny Durban. AccidentalMuslim.com is a platform and a movement where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. We hope to add value to your life, so listen up and enjoy. Today our guest is Brother Muhammad Zakaria Sulaiman, an advocate at law as well as an amazing character. I'm so blessed to have him here today. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Zakaria. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Well, Brother Zakaria is an advocate, as I said, of the KwaZulu-Natal Bar, former law research clerk to Justice van der West Hazen and acting Justin Theron at the Constitutional Court of South Africa, a former junior researcher and SLSJ fellow at Public Interest Litigation Center, Section 27, recognized as Mail and Guardian's top 200 young South Africans for 2014 uh, at a brightest young minds at the same year. He's also the top five young Muslim leaders in South Africa in 2013. Mashallah. Also, he's attended many parts of the world, but one of the beautiful places is India. So he was part of the uh, No India Program scholarship re- uh, recipient. He's also an opinion writer and a poet. So much in the bag. I'm so <laughs> glad to have you once again. Welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. Uh, it is our first one here in Durban and we've chosen you as our mentor to, to go. Let us go through this wonderful process. So um, yeah, let's just start. I mean, tell us a little about yourself. Well, firstly, Jazakallah Khair for having me. I think you guys are doing very good work and is, I think it's exceptionally important that we celebrate uh, the achievements uh, that we have in this country. Um, yeah, I, as you pointed out, I'm an advocate at the Durban Bar. Um, the area of my interest is in constitutional law um, and I have a background in constitutional law. I've been living in Durban all my life. I moved up to Johannesburg three years ago to further my interest in public interest law. And um, one of the highlights was clerking at the Constitutional Court. And I was very blessed to be clerking for two of the judges. And I think I'm even more blessed that the first judge that I clerked for, who was an acting justice then, has just been sworn in today as a judge of the Constitutional Court. Wow, so I'm, I'm very... Um, I'm very happy, alhamdulillah. Allah has placed me in a very good position. Alhamdulillah. Well, let's let's go back. Where did it all start? From from a childhood, you said you were born in Durban. Yes. But, I mean, your schooling career and, and then and obviously your studies. Yes. Uh, my interest in constitutional law in broader issues did not start from that point. Okay. And I'll get back to that now. But starting off from my childhood, I went to a an Islamic uh, private school and thereafter I studied at UKZN um, I first did architecture and thereafter I realized interestingly that um, I could use my creativity in another way and for some reason law which is steeped in logic um, was the area I found that I could use my creativity the most mm-hmm. uh, coming from a from a Muslim private school meant that there were pros and there were cons. The cons being a very insular Indian community, that predominantly middle to upper class community, which meant that going to university uh, met me with very serious forms of culture shock. Mm. You are interacting with class, race uh, for the first time. 
and all the results of of insular thinking mm. that came with it. Um, thereafter, I did architecture, and as I said, I realized it wasn't working out, and then I shifted over to law. And there were uh, a few catalysts, which I'm sure we'll discuss, that occurred that created a shift in my thinking, and the end result being that social justice and spirituality I realized we're intertwined Beautiful. and I think that's where my journey started. Beautiful and I, I'm sure most of us find a, a point in time where it just clicks something just says this is who I feel I was meant for. Yes. <laughs> I struggle with it because every day I get up thinking is this really for me what I want <laughs> but I'm sure somehow and, and I hope through your journey we can all try and find that spot find that Inshallah. change that click that can Inshallah. make us uh, realize our path in, 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 in and the purpose of why we're uh, born and I think that's Certainly. the purpose of accidentalmuslims.com as you say live with purpose and yes. hopefully we all can find that you know I, I firmly believe uh, Allah says in the Quran that we are created solely for the purpose of worship and my philosophy is that whatever you do and this is the primary purpose driving my interest in public law um, in social justice is that everything that you do ought to be worship mm. and if you plug yourself in and insert yourself in into a space where you are fulfilling hukukul ibad which is the rights of of humans mm. or human rights or effecting change, that is a form of worship. Absolutely. Over and above uh, the obvious uh, faraid that we have. Allah. And, and in fact, extending that is the gateway to Allah. Mm. Um, and I think that ties in very well into the theme of accidental Muslims. And that's and that's living with purpose. Um, and, that, and that, I think... Um, is something that I realized through this journey. Alhamdulillah. Well, I know it's very difficult to describe yourself in three words. Yes. <laughs> but I'd like to know, how would you describe yourself uh, in three words? Passionate, witty, sensitive. Those are the three words that my gut spews out when I <laughs> I like the sensitive it. part. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I think it's important as men for us to interrogate the fragility that comes out of our masculinity mm. and I think embracing our uh, embracing the sensitivity is also being a character of Rasulullah Absolutely. is something that men ought to interrogate in order to tackle the scourge of patriarchy that we have absolutely and we tend to to bypass that if we, we do feel we do it's not 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 part of the persona of of a man yes certainly yeah. um, there's literature that says that society has constructed masculinity to the extent that the only emotion that is legitimate of a man is anger wow. and we need to challenge that absolutely and that is where sensitivity comes in because sensitivity is also linked to emotional intelligence mm. and EQ there's enough evidence now that is much more tangible and much more cherished than IQ mm. and that is how we connect with each other and so um, I think that's why one of the reasons I feel that one of the words is sensitivity. Powerful, powerful indeed. Now, coming from a from a space where 
many people find difficult to find a career path, especially after university. You yes. go through 12 years of your life in yes. school and then think, well, you know, where, where do I place myself? Was that, was that difficult for you? Was that a task No, certainly, certainly. <coughs> I mean, I, the path that I took is not the conventional conveyor belt sort of professional pathway that a, that a lawyer would take. Generally, we, we, we are taught in university that the conveyor belt is such that you get your degree, you do your articles, mm. you become an attorney. And then after a while, you, you then become an advocate. Um, I did not become an attorney. I did not do my articles. Instead, I went up to Johannesburg. I did some research. I ended up at the Constitutional Court. I got all the tools and skills that I needed. Mm in order to know that becoming an advocate is what I wanted to do. But in order to do that, I started off in school wanting to become a marine biologist. Um, <laughs> That's then, way apart. <laughs> yeah, then, I, then I had an interest in drawing and art, and so I wanted to get into architecture. Um, and after architecture, I didn't actually go straight into law. I went and did a Bachelor of Arts for a year in media and law because I have an interest in writing. Mm. Um, and I was thinking of getting into journalism. And finally, I found my way into law because I had an interest um, in the way law worked. And so I think it's a very difficult pathway for any young person um, to know how to, where to get to. But I found that drawing a mind map of who I am, where I want to go, what I want to do, and sprawling my thoughts out on a large page helped me get the direction or a little direction that I needed in order to see what it is that I wanted and how I can get there. Yeah. Well, I think that's what we mustn't be afraid of. Uh, you already started in one career of architecture. Yes. And, and then changed later on. Most people yes. feel, well, you know, if I choose this for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to do this. Yes. It, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that. No, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But it, what it also means that, Again, alhamdulillah, uh, there's a certain element of, of privilege that comes with um, having the opportunity to change your career path. Mm. Many persons are forced, firstly, um, into situations where they cannot utilize any opportunity because of the responsibilities that they have. Mm. Um, many people do, cannot because of the financial implications of making these decisions. Mm. Um, and, you know, in a post-democratic, post-apartheid uh, era, many people are just historically placed in a situation where they don't even have the first choice of career. Mm. And so I think <coughs> while it is, uh, it is an element of courage to make that career shift, if I have to be honest, it also is an element of privilege that allowed me to, yeah. to make that shift. Well, it's important for us to acknowledge and understand where, where we're situated and, and, give, and give thanks to that. No, certainly. That. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, we spoke a little bit about coming from a Muslim school. Yes. Um, and then into a space where now you've got mixed cultures and backgrounds and people. Uh, a little bit more. Was that a, re a real huge adjustment uh, for you? Yes. Yes, it was. It was a huge adjustment because a lot of the way I saw the world then um, the normative view in which I saw the world then was shaped by that insular society that I was talking about. So to give tangible examples, issues of race or racism, um, issues of gender and sexism, um, issues of multiculturalism, diversity, 
were never issues that I had to confront mm. because through the school syllabus I was confronted I was exposed to a particular form of thinking um, through the school setting I was socialized to predominantly similar people and similar identities and through the geographical space of the school it meant that I came from a similar community mm. going into university meant that I had to confront myself with very difficult questions and I found that there were two parts that you would go down the one is accepting the normative view you have and entrenching it or challenging it and immersing yourself in a broader community mm. and I found at first I entrenched that idea um, and much later on um, when I was exposed to bigger issues and broader issues and through various programs I started re-questioning everything and then that's when sort of slowly transitioning um, into challenging the normative view I have of this world. Wonderful. Um, you know, one of your journeys through university, mm. you, you, you spoke about earlier, um, was uh, fighting for social justice. Yes. And, and, and one of the, the organizations you joined was called the Students for Law and Social Justice Organization. Yes. And, and this kind of uh, goes into some of your interests in disability rights. Can yes, you, yes, Give yes. us a little journey on that. <coughs> So I joined Students for Law and Social Justice around 2010. What happened was it was my second year of law school and ironically I was in constitutional law class, in the constitutional law class and there was a, a student who sat in the front row who would challenge the lecturer on various issues of constitutional law. And I found it fascinating and I wanted to talk to that student. Um, and to my surprise, and surprise being the key word over here, the, the student uh, was visually impaired. And in retrospect, why I use the word surprise is because, again, um, the normative view we have of people, of intellect, for some reason li links to um, able-bodied person. Mm. So I was, I was surprised at that point. Uh, and I started talking to him and we started chatting and he wanted to go to the law library so I said I'll walk with him went to the library and he said he'll see me later and so I said where are you going and he says no uh, students with disabilities have a different land and again uh, normative thinking that land means your computer land, land your, your yeah. computer land okay. yes um, and again, challenging a normative thinking of this is the only space in which people interact. Yeah. I went with him to the computer room. And I found that this computer room had, it was basically a storeroom. And he had a ridiculously old computer over there. And I, and I asked him, what is going on over here? And he, and he said, well, <laughs> this, is, this is basically what we have to deal with. So I said, okay, cool. Uh, is any way... Like, how, what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And he says, well, there's nothing we can do about it. And a few weeks later, and this, this, this experience had been playing on my mind, and a few weeks later, Students for Law and Social Justice had a sort of a call-out day looking for calling out for new members. And I started speaking to uh, 
at that point she was the chairperson of the, the provincial chairperson um, and I told her about this and she said that we don't have a disability campaign why don't you write a proposal mm. and I thought write a proposal I mean I come from the, the background I came from has or the journey that I took has no inch of activism barring maybe going for a Palestinian march <laughs> um, what do you mean write a proposal long story short I wrote the proposal it dealt with a campaign around disability rights um, acknowledging people with disabilities um, campaigning for facilities around uh, for facilities for people with disabilities um, and we got in touch with Justice Sak Yaqub who is a blind at that point justice of the constitutional court mm. um, who then retired and we got him to come in we got him to give a talk and from there things progressed um, one of the flag projects and one of the things that I will always cherish is we started a disability awareness day where we set up disability simulations so iPads covering your eyes and a walking stick a wheelchair or wow. an autism simulation for able -bodied. for able-bodied people yeah. and we told them okay you got a tut in Shepston one go for your tut oh and they couldn't get there because yeah. it could not act you could not access it as a person on a wheelchair yeah. we had to go around the entire university and at the end you would have a survey in which you write your experiences down that's amazing um, and it achieved two things it achieved one it started sensitizing people and giving them some sort of insight mm. into the challenges of people with disabilities mm -hmm. but I took that research and I plugged it into a research paper um, which somehow wormed its way to the International Human Rights Conference in in Poland and I got myself funding from the University of Western Sydney and presented those ideas over there and that where that started my journey in, in disability law because thereafter again through students for law and social justice they have set up with section 27 who is a public interest law organization in South Africa um, they set up a fellowship with section 27 for fellows or prospective fellows that have contributed to the organization um, a shortlisting process and an interview process for them to actually start working in section 27 mm -hmm. and alhamdulillah it, it seemed as if the stars aligned for me and I, I was appointed as a fellow and after one year I started building up the interest in disability work that in the second year they hired me as a junior researcher dealing particularly with disability law Fantastic. and from there it was disability in education disability and health disability and housing um, and so that's how that journey started it started from from some sort of uh, curiosity but it also started it also came from um, I guess a a sense of something isn't right yeah something isn't right yeah, yeah. 
and then that's important for us to try and always uh, well not try but if it, it, whenever we're faced with a problem uh, faced with an issue yeah. we try we try and help and that's that's the link that we as Muslims uh, should be doing consistently um, trying to stand up for those who may not be able to um, yes. that's what you you've done practically we may talk about it but practically it's not the easiest thing yeah. to do well this kind of leads us to the question of sex, section 27 as well as pro bono.org yes you've served a short period of time there yes, yes, um, yes. but could you just tell us a bit more about that when one of the more more interesting things I'd like to ask is about South African law yes do you think it's I know it's a very broad question yes but do you think it's generally well designed uh, to protect the, in, the rights or the, or the interests of people um, com maybe comparing it to other countries or, or comparing it to 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 apartheid South Africa to now sure yeah so let's knock out the easy questions first compared to apartheid we are very 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 much well off we have political rights, we have socio-economic rights. In fact, we have th third generation rights, which are environmental rights. Um, we can never allow ourselves to go anywhere close to apartheid. Compared to other countries, South Africa's constitution is internationally recognized as one of the most more progressive, if not most progressive constitution. And South Africa prides itself in that. Our constitution and the constitutional court cases are studied globally from Oxford to Cambridge to Harvard they engage with these cases our socio-economic rights cases our judges are called in as fellows research fellows lecturers um, all over the world and to tackle that big question as a document as a principle as a value system our constitution being the supreme law of this country regulates all other laws and gives us a foundation that protects the poor that is pro-poor and that advances respects protects the rights of people in South Africa it also places a tangible duty on the state be it the legislature or parliament be it the executive or the ministries um, be it the courts itself a duty to protect these rights and the problem that comes with that is you know the implementation of it and stepping back to SLSJ one of the conferences that we have we used to have a yearly conference was the implementation gap the disjuncture between the Constitution and reality and where that disjuncture lies and where the reality lies is in this mass public interest litigation mm -hmm. textbooks in one of the northern provinces called Limpopo um, access or stockouts of ARVs in Gauteng which is a central region in South Africa um, learner transport issues in rural areas mm -hmm. corruption and holding uh, officials accountable personally um, all of these things can be done through the law but through the lens of the Constitution mm. and that goes back to the interest in and the vision of the constitutional project and I think that's where my interest and my vision lies um, to sum it all up I think we South Africa has an interesting political climate but we are safe 
because we have a very strong court system and we have a very strong constitution and we have a very strong media and civil society and i think those four things aligned correctly has been recipes for social change amazing well i know that you do a lot of other kind of uh, works and uh, involved in many other things but some of them are like writing yes. and poetry and even on radio yes, uh, yes. Tell, tell us a bit more about those kind of activities okay well radio has been something that has interestingly been part of my life uh, for quite a while because i um, i have uh, grown up with my father being on radio for many years and i grew up watching him and in fact being mentored by him um, in terms of public speaking on radio presence and those sort of things and so i've always had an inclination and a um a love for radio uh the writing came about a few years ago perhaps around 2009 2010 when i was at a point where it's interesting you step back to the word sensitivity but i was at a time where i was at the crossroads of trying to understand myself but i was a very private person at the time and i did not know how to get my thoughts down on paper express it express yeah. it on paper except for a cryptic manner <laughs> and i would consistently put my thoughts down in a cryptic manner and realize that what it actually was was poetry yeah. and that how i started interacting with poetry then i started go then i attended the uh poetry africa festival that happens in durban mm -hmm. and i was blown away by a poet by the name of joshua bennett okay. who made me realize that poetry does not necessarily confine itself to rhymes but it can also expose itself to rhythm mm. and so the way you use your voice the way you move with it the way you create imagery as you speak mm -hmm. all forms part of contemporary poetry spoken word um free flow free flow poetry um and i was fascinated with that because you are given an you are breaking the shackles of the iambic pentameter mm. and all of a sudden you in a space where you can take the audience the listener on a journey on a vulnerable journey that you are experiencing Mm-hmm. And I found that that communication powerful because I used things like it, things like being bullied when I was a child, mm -hmm. things like not understanding who I am, things like crying behind a wall, mm -hmm. things like the exposure I had in probono.org of refugees uh, of refugee women from various countries being raped and and detailly telling me about the experiences and me trying to lift up pain off mm. and using poetry mm. to to communicate that and that's where then that's where my interest in poetry came from in writing particularly writing on constitutional issues um current issues current topics came from the understanding and the influence i had at section 27 about plain language and my judge at the constitutional court about translating the law in plain language mm -hmm. and language doesn't necessarily mean the ofi 11 official languages mm -hmm. language also means the five senses the plainness of it absolutely 
transmitting it in a way that is digestible to a person it means braille mm. it means clear uh, clear audio um, and m my aim or my hope or my vision for my writing is to distill and to take constitutional issues current topics and distill it to a point where a person who has no background in law has an ability to understand and interact with it and i think that's the power of art yes. in many forms whether it's in poetry whether it's in music whether it's even in 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 uh, spoken word yes. uh, in paintings yes. it it has an amazing ability to um, express sometimes the innermost part of the heart yes you know and yes. Uh, and through 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 sun and and many people's perceive it in different ways that's the other thing Certainly. that's the beauty of it you know so compared to you know a very structured sort of discussion uh, art has this amazing way of, of expressing and going beyond you know backgrounds and language and, and, and even uh, cultures yes yeah, certainly absolutely. certainly um, it, it, it definitely gives a foundation for people to interact and, and, and that I think is a step towards the, the towards diversity and understanding someone on a yeah. deeper level yeah. connection is beautiful and I think that's important for Muslims to be in that kind of space as well yes that's for sure yes yes so um, moving back to a bit about the law side yes. you know they say there's two types of lawyers <laughs> you know uh, one one that is uh, that who um, who knows the law <laughs> yes <laughs> and the other one who knows the judge <laughs> so how important being Muslim uh, is it in, in, in the work that you're doing we have the opportunity to bear the flagship of Islam. We have the opportunity to infuse the principles of freedom, equality and justice within Islam, which are principles of the constitution as well. Mm -hmm. To be guided by our Islamic compass in order to implement the law. And that's what fascinates me about being a Muslim within law. Firstly, we have the responsibility of being a Muslim and so con through the strength that Allah gives us the akhlaq to portray uh, ourselves as Muslim but also the ethics of interacting with our opponents with the judges um, with the work that comes in but more importantly to structure our thinking and our legal minds according to Islamic principle mm. and use that not necessarily the rigid factual principles that are based on specific facts, but the broader philosophical ideologies and understandings of Islam and social justice to infuse it in our thinking of the law, because that's how we can influence and change the law and develop the law. Because my understanding as a lawyer and my belief, in fact, is that they are very similar principles the Constitution has with Quran. Um, equality, freedom, justice, um, rights. It's, it's, these are principles that, that we learn as Muslims mm. and we can implement them as Muslims. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's it. I, you know, in these days, we need to start finding, you know, um, even though you may be in the uh, secular field, as they call it, although mm. I don't believe there's a complete difference between secular and Islamic, it's actually combined. Right. You know, but even though some people are in the secular field, they may feel, well, you know, 
I'm not in a Muslim country. It's difficult to be a mm. Muslim in this kind of space. Yes. But as you said, it's just about finding the right sort of match. And yes. as you do your job, whether you're a street sweeper, whether you're a car guard, or whether you're a CEO of a company, yes. you can actually play a pivotal role in, in, in showcasing and exposing Islam, the true Islam, to, to those who are around you. Yes, no, certainly. What's interesting is is the idea of, of secularism. We, we're living in a society that's actually religiously plural mm. as opposed to a society that's secular. Mm. And um, that's one of the interesting things that I find being in, in South Africa is that we're not necessarily a secular society, but we're in a society that celebrates religion and freedom of religion yeah, and that's a good thing so um let's move on now to some of your experiences in life i, I really believe that uh, our experiences and our and our situations that allah has put us through yes uh, really shape us to who we are in the future yes um, so let's go to some of those experiences i know you've traveled to india uh, i'd really like to know a bit about that and obviously your time with the brightest young minds program yes 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 those two um experiences were were, were special the first was the No India program, where the structure of the program is that diaspora or descendants of Indian citizens would be from around the world would be brought to India, and <coughs> they would take you on this cultural, social, economic journey through India, lectures and programs and sessions and cultural exchanges and those sort of things. It confronted me with two things. The one was the idea of inequality. Because the, the interesting thing that I consistently noticed was the strong, unequal society that India has. Mm. And obviously then once coming back to South Africa, you start realizing the similarities. I mean, South African society, according to the Gini coefficient, is one of the most unequal or more unequal societies yeah. in the world. The disparity is quite huge. This disparity is quite huge. The, the second thing that that program helped me understand or confront was my identity as an Indian versus an, my identity as a South African Indian and whether I have a relationship with that identity. And while very close to the, the 39 others found themselves to be a lot more Indian, I came back finding myself a lot more South African. Not necessarily because I wanted to distance myself away from the Indian identity, mm. but the plurality that South Africa has and the history that we have and perhaps to a certain degree the trauma that we experienced as well gives a very different flavor and taste mm. of our identity. Mm. And, and that's what made me, that's the two things that I explored coming back from India. The second being Brightest Young Minds helped me understand how to break down the barriers of thinking and the tools that it gave me was take an idea and push it to the periphery of your mind mm -hmm. then break those walls down and push it further mm -hmm. then break those walls down and then push it even further mm -hmm. until it sounds irrational and that's when you know how far you can push an idea <laughs> And that's the fascinating thing about Brightest Young Minds because you're surrounded by other South Africans around your age that have done insane things. They've developed tablets that um, operate through sunlight, uh, solar-powered tablets. Um, they thought of ideas of making ARV vending machines. Um, they are pilots and doctors and 
neuroscientists and it's just fascinating because they clump you in a room they give you an idea and i from a constitutional background have a certain contribution to an idea a person with a medical background a person with an architectural background and you start realizing the idea of perspective and the idea of pushing intellectual boundaries Mm. and i think those two experiences have pushed me towards the direction that i find the wind taking me but i see that's a problem in our in our muslim societies and <coughs> there aren't spaces for young people to be able to given those kind of thinking platforms or those pushing as you say the boundaries of your of your of your mind and your intellect um i, I think we really need to create those kind of spaces certainly so and it goes back to the insular thinking that i was talking about i was being politically correct <laughs> by saying that and i think that needs to be challenged and i think that needs to be questioned because the idea of muslims in south africa that we have is a very he- hegemonic idea of it mm. um when we think muslims in, when we as indian south african muslims think muslims in south africa we automatically think other indian muslims yeah and that in and of itself is problematic thinking let mm. alone the insular thinking and the effects that has yeah and so i think i i do think that platforms where we can break intellectual boundaries social boundaries as well yeah uh would be integral for the forward movement of the south african muslim community as a whole absolutely well everyone likes to know success stories and i'm yeah. sure you've got many of them uh, to share with and us <laughs> but maybe p- uh, possibly one of them that really stood out for you um with all the cases that you've been dealing with through the constitutional court through your work with the various uh, social justice organizations something that really really probably triggered something you know the sensitive side of you the the thing that really triggered the sensitive side in me were two cases um the one being uh, a refugee case that dealt with a woman from Congo um who was viciously raped by the uh the dominant political party by the military of the dominant political party um that was the first time I was shaken. Um but I think the more interest uh, the the ra- rather not the more interesting one the 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 second one was dealing with a school in a northern Kwazulu Natal which is the province um around Durban. Um there were there were there were a group of children uh, with disabilities that required access to schools. um the schools in the area were schools that did not cater for learners with special needs and through campaigning uh through consistent dialogues or and, and battles with the department about after about a year or two we managed to persuade the department to without going to court to build a school an a state of the art school for learners with special needs um and and that that was something that was very it, it was it was important because it helped me understand the role of advocacy of advocacy yeah. yes yeah. yeah um and so those are two cases that really 
um, for, uh, that stick out for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I, I noticed is that you haven't chosen the conventional, you know, path of a lawyer. Yes. Uh, yes. You you seem to bypass everything else <laughs> uh, and choose a very different path. I mean, t- tell us. Well, firstly, how how did that happen, and and why? Why why is it such? Well, the, the why, uh, m- my family always tells me that I'm a rebel in my thinking. And so if you tell me <laughs> to go the conventional way, I will find an unconventional way in order to do it. Yeah. But it all stems back to SLSJ, for st- yeah. Students for Law and Social Justice. Um, the conve- I, I, I remind you of the conveyor belt thinking, and that is you become a lawyer, you get into the big five or big corporate firms, uh, you become a corporate lawyer. But SLSJ helped me mix with similar minds, similar thinkers and progressive minds that question, why do we need to do this? Um, the, the, the word why is a very, very powerful tool. And then that pushed me into Section 27 through the fellowship. And at Section 27, you all of a sudden faced with, I can become a clerk of the Constitutional Court, I can become a... a an advocate, I can become an academic. Mm. I don't have to become a lawyer. If I want to become a lawyer, I can become a public interest lawyer. Mm. Uh, because you are consistently surrounded with those minds. And, well, I guess it suited my sort of rebellious thinking. Mm. But that is what pushed me. Because if you think of the No India program, the brightest young minds, w- one of the themes that came out of a lot of the experiences that I've had and a lo- one of the themes that I understand accidental Muslims or the purpose of them is is to a expose yourself to like-minded people but let people know and this is what is very important to me let people know that there are people that you can identify with out there that are doing things mm. it gives you the, the opportunity the encouragement the motivation the inspiration to actually do it as well mm. We consistently see people doing certain things and they consistently happen to be of one demographic, one gender, one race, one color, that we start socializing our minds to think that that is the only people that can access this. Mm. It speaks to the decolonization idea. And I think the purpose of all of it is to show that it can be done. And that was the impact that had on me. And I hope one day, somehow, perhaps someone um, would extract that idea from me. Absolutely. Now, you had uh, recently a community meeting that spoke about um, a, a recent court order. Is it a court order? Oh, a yes. Yes, a court judgment. Yes. Yeah, a court judgment that, that spoke about um, the, the push or the... Um, what should I say? Yeah, the push of, of religion in schools, in public schools. Right. So how does that uh, combine? So religion and public school, um, are yes. schools allowed to promote a certain one religion? And there was a whole discussion on that. Just yes, tell yes. us tell a little quickly about, about that. <coughs> okay. I mean, it, it, it sort of dovetails into the previous comment I made about secularism and religious plurality. The judgment was basically an attempt to challenge Christian practices in schools, in specific schools. Um, Based on a technical legal point, that case was not furthered. But what the judge did do is the judge wrote an expose of religion, the idea of religion in schools. And to cut 
this entire thought process short and to answer your question our constitution in south africa understands the role that religion plays in our country it understands the role that religion plays in identity but what it does what this judgment does say is that public schools can practice religion mm. it can be practiced at a school but it not cannot be practiced by a school what it also says is that children and educators have the option of voluntary option to opt in or opt out of religious practices mm. but also what it says is that religious practices have to be practiced or observed on an equitable basis so what that means is that from a community level the religious re representations within that community ought to be represented in schools what it means on a national level is very different on a national level we can't pref prefer one religion over the other but we need to find a way to accommodate all religions so as the constitutional court said we're not looking at a society of scrupulous secularism nor are we looking at a society of complete neutrality what we are finding is a society that appreciates and understands religion because religion is integral to our identity this throughout this in interview one of the threads was that as muslims uh, our identity shines mm. through islam in whatever vocation or career that we do and that's the role that religion plays and that's the role that the courts have acknowledged so that's essentially what the judgment was about. Yeah. So when when, you, when I first heard about it, I was actually concerned. But once you explained it uh, at, the, at the community meeting, it really made sense to say that it is something positive, not yes. something that's negative. Yes. Yes. I, I firmly believe that it is a positive. So now you're with the Durban Bar. Yes. Uh, tell us where where is this heading? Hmm. So where I am now is, um, as you said, I'm at the Durban Bar uh, as an advocate. It's my first year at the bar, and so I'm at the starting stages. Where it takes me, I don't know. Uh, there are so many options that, or there are so many opportunities or visions or dreams that I have that I don't know where it's going to take me. But what I do know is that wherever it does take me, I'd like to keep practicing within the realm of constitutional law. Um, I am fascinated with uh, rights. I am fascinated with the role of government, its obligations, the way arms of government interact with each other. Um, and so wherever it does take me, I would like to keep within this area of law. Amazing. And, that's, and that really brings to the fact of your, your vision for, for access to justice, yes. uh, plain language and constitutional education. Yes. I think that's what you, you were speaking about before. Yes. That's, that's the same vision that you talk about. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, whether I end up uh, staying as an advocate, if I go into, back into civil society, whether I find myself on the bench being a judge, whether it means going into writing, the, the, the key role I would like to contribute is for people that I'm inter interacting with mm -hmm. to have an understanding of what their rights are, what their obligations are, because that helps you 
structure society in a more equitable, more constitutional manner. Because people understand their rights, their responsibilities, and the state understands their obligations. That's beautiful. Now, being a Muslim, uh, do you think there's enough space for, for Muslims like yourself to interact, to, to, to be part of, to feel part of a, a, you know, a united sort of community? Or do you, especially for young people like yourself, do you, or do you think there's, there's a much more needed uh, space for people to interact? I don't think that there's a space for me to interact with others who are Muslim. It was, is, and has been one of my frustrations in understanding my identity. I found a sense of community in broader society than the Muslim community that I have. Um, do I think that there is a sense of belonging? No, I don't. I wish there was. I wish there was a community in which, um, without taking away the very huge importance of Middle Eastern conflict, I wish there was a community that did not center its activism around that. Um, I wish there was a community that treated um, issues that they, they identify as Islamic or centered around other Muslims um, as important as issues of inequality in South Africa uh, but I don't I I struggle to find that sense of community and that sense of shared vision um, they play important roles but I do not think that um, I have a sense of belonging well, I think that's where places like AccidentalMuslims.com, the Haraka Network and various other sort of young mind focused organizations are, are, are popping up. And I think hopefully together as a, as a, as a, as a ummah in mm. South Africa and globally, we're able to create those spaces for people like yourself. Um, with your experiences, I'm sure you'll be able to do and help uh, those in need. Inshallah. Inshallah. Well, let's let's park off the seriousness for, yeah, for a while. Yes. Let's just get into some quick, uh, sort of quick fire questions. Yeah. Uh, where do you find the balance in your life? The balance between work and and, and and time off, and or where do you see the peace or find the peace in your life? At one a.m. on YouTube. <laughs> um, apart from that, um, writing, writing, um, family. My wife has played an integral role. Um, in furthering the cause for social justice, uh, furthering the cause for higher purpose, but also just being my companion. Um, and also, I mean, m my parents as well. So, so f I think family, uh, alone time, and um, being alone with my thoughts have, have, have allowed me to create some sort of balance. That's really important. And a mentor? Do you have someone do you, who you find is your mentor in your life? Uh, Th that's. I've always wondered who my mentor was. Mm. But I think because, as you pointed out, there are various areas in which I have interest in, the result of that is that I, have very, I seem to have various mentors. Mm. Um, there are people that have played very important roles in my life at various times. Um, and I think 
an idea that ought to be explored is as we change as humans sometimes the perception of our mentors change as well and as a result we align ourselves with other mentors mm-hmm. and so has do i have a, a mentor currently no i don't um but are there people who have played integral roles in my life and have impacted me certainly yes and and what would you say is your your life mantra something that you <laughs> yeah you constantly sort of make zikr of <laughs> and constantly yeah. remind yourself of you know is there something like that in your life um it's a difficult one to answer because and excuse the lawyer coming out in me <laughs> because it presupposes that we have a positive outlook uh-huh. on things that consistently reinforce the idea of positivity mm. um which is not necessarily a bad thing <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing <laughs> yeah. but when i think of a mantra it, it makes me wonder you know whether i do have one but if there are things that consistently ring in my head is did i do this with excellence with ihsan huh. i think that's something that consistently makes me ponder that is beautiful i think that's something we can all take that home with even if it's something one thing in this interview that we do take home it's it's truly about that i think there's muslims where where at times uh uh need to find that self mm. and ourselves in a space where we just do things but doing something with ihsan with excellence yeah is meaning going beyond the call of duty yeah and it, it it comes from that higher duty you have as a muslim mm. to do things with ihsan because huh, we i mean it just goes back to the entire discussion that we have we have a duty as muslims to conduct ourselves with excellence and so the vocation of the career that we in we ought to do with excellence absolutely one of your favorite quranic verses and and why ha ah, one of them um there are three okay. um the one is are they all related to the same n- 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 topic no perhaps they are the one is um about the reason for the the purpose of creation is worship the second is poetic in surah rahman about the, the the trees and the stars prostrate uh to allah the imagery is just breathtaking the third is more real in that um we we will expose you to the elements of of hunger of loss the successful ones are something to the effect that the successful ones are the ones that bear patience mm. and after everything we come from allah and we return to him mubashshir mm. sabirin is that what you say yes yeah. um and i think those three verses <coughs> pardon me there is a fourth about justice <laughs> that I, in fact i had as a I, signature I of my email i thought that would be the first one <laughs> <clears throat> that was my signature of my email be just even if it is against those that you love wow um it speaks to it speaks to the deep ethics of conducting yourself um because that would be the most difficult decision to make yes yeah most biased yes yes and uh, you know every day of our lives we live and we just sort of go through the mill and we yeah. continue we wake up in the morning go to work come yeah. back 
uh, others who who might uh, have their own businesses concentrate on you know what's coming in what's going out yeah. uh, we kind of forget about um, Allah and our responsibilities to him in the good times yes so yes. one of the questions I always ask myself and I'm, mm. I'm going to ask you is what are you great grateful for right now right at this moment what are you grateful for I'm grateful that I'm being appreciated there is something special about having someone within your community recognize you yeah. and i'm grateful for being appreciated that that's beautiful that's absolutely beautiful and i think it it's a reminder to ourselves all the time that if we see good in others and you know we say one for your brother what you want for yourself yes so when you see good in others or when somebody else is is having good in their lives it's important for us to then look at it and say how can i support them how can i get it make them even better yes. instead of the way that we generally do of fa- fa- feeling ourselves more uh, yeah. jealous and <laughs> envious you know yes. so that's beautiful and, and and thank you for that and finally it's a bit of a a tricky one there's no right answer to this right uh, but it's a it's a question that we ask on accidentalmuslims.com it's to, if today is your last day and i love a bit that um you only have enough energy to say a few words what advice would it be speak your mind one day it'll be okay i think that's a wrap thank you so much uh, brother zakaria sulaiman ready for your time uh, this wonderful day for giving us uh, a lot of inspiration i in this last few minutes i've learned so much uh, myself as a young as a young muslim and i think those who are watching and those who are listening um, i'm sure they feel the same and i hope that this sort of few minutes and and, and that we shared uh, and and hopefully we sharing it to the world would inspire you to become better muslims and hopefully in the end live with purpose and i think that's that's the most beautiful message we can leave everyone with uh, thank you for having me on this on this show on this on this podcast on this discussion and remember me in your duas um it's a very uh, vulnerable experience um putting yourself out there and speaking about your uh, successes and so um i ask for for guidance um and for strength in not being overpowered by ego amen inshallah I mean, well, well, that's a wrap from us at the AccidentalMuslims.com team in Durban. It is our first interview that we've done, and we hope that everyone has, in some way, in a little way, been inspired. May Allah grant us the ability to continue this kind of work, and may He guide us to the straight path. I mean, I mean, for me, brother Nazir and brother Zakaria, would like to say, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Shukran for listening. We hope we added value to your life and that you enjoyed this podcast. We hope our guest has helped you live your life with purpose. Don't forget to forward all suggestions and feedback to info at accidentalmuslims.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You're listening to accidentalmuslims.com.